It's great to be here. We're looking at the subject today of liberating grace, and we're working through our series on Mark's gospel, Mark's account of the life of Jesus. And it's a pretty um, dynamic account as the accounts go. Um, And Mark, the writer himself, had known what it was to experience grace. He was there um, when Jesus um, was going to be taken away and arrested to be crucified. And actually it says in the end of Mark that this guy, he doesn't really name himself, but he fled. So when the heat was on, Mark hightailed out of there. In fact, he says that he ran away. The, the Romans got this garment and he ran away naked. It's in the Bible. You can look it up for yourselves. So it's pretty embarrassing for Mark. It's, I'm almost embarrassed to talk about it myself here today. And uh, so that was Mark. And then later on, Mark uh, joins with Peter and Barnabas on one of their first missionary trips. And it seems like he gets cold feet midway through. He's obviously part of the team, but he just goes away. He runs off. He does a split. And uh, so much so that when the next missionary trip comes around and Paul and Barnabas are there going, well, should we take Mark? Barnabas says, yeah, we should take him. And Paul says, I don't want to take him. He's unreliable. He's, I mean, it's... And so they have a disagreement and they separate. And they, Paul goes off one way and Barnabas and Mark go off another way. But then later on, Mark is obviously strengthened again. And Paul says, Mark is useful to me. So Mark's life, just Mark's life alone, shows this kind of humanity of the ordinary believers of the New Testament. They weren't amazing superstars with no faults, but they experienced something in encountering Jesus that changed their lives. And that is grace, liberating grace. And uh, Mark was actually... Really, he was a companion of Peter for quite a long time, particularly around Rome. And he was known as Peter's interpreter. And so you'll see uh, that he talks a lot about Peter's faults. You know, Peter, the, the rock, was actually a bit more like a jelly at points. Um, and he was very wobbly. And yet God used Peter. And, you know, so Mark writes down these things. So we understand they're real people. And it's a great account. See, the, the problem of the New Testament, and the, it's the problem of today, is that religion puts people down. In fact, it ruins people's lives. Religion, I don't know if you realize that, but that was what was happening in Jesus' day. It was a, an oppressive system that put people off, put people down. It excludes, it condemns, it criticizes, it actually kills. Religion can kill. But Jesus came full of grace and truth. He came in a different way. He didn't come with law and rules. He came full of grace and truth. It's a different type of order. And it says in the Psalms that uh, God is the lifter of our heads. So you have this thing that religion can oppress, but actually God is the lifter of our heads. And I felt that it's what he wants to do today amongst us. He wants to lift some heads. I think there's some people whose heads have dropped. You feel discouraged But God wants to lift your head today. Because being a Christian is cool. (laughs) It's amazing to be in Christ. There's nothing better than being a Christian. And we've got good news to share. Good news today. Uh, And I just want to encourage us in that. So let's move on to the passage we're going to be looking at. We're looking at Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through to 3 verse 6. And we'll just read together. 
So this is an account. Obviously, we've had some great talks so far. Fingers crossed for this one. And uh, it says, Jesus says this, On the Sabbath, well, Mark says this about Jesus, On the Sabbath, Jesus, that is, was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, you just pitch the scene, the disciples are just strolling through the grain fields, um, and they're plucking heads of grain. Now, at this point, I put a star there because I'm thinking, where's the farmer? Where is the farmer? Where is the farmer? Because my dad's a farmer. And I'm thinking, surely it's get off my land at this point. You know, you're wandering through fields. It's not allowed in this country. It was allowed then. It's just my, I don't know, it's just something agricultural in me uh, <laughs> reacts when I hear about people wandering through plucking grain. What's going on there? But it was actually allowed in their day. And the Pharisees, anyway, get, get back to the story. The Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did? When he was in need and he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. Next page. And he said to them, this is important, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And again, he entered the synagogue, and there was a man there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, and so they might accuse him. And he said to them, to the man with a withered hand, come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? And they were silent. And he looked around them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their hearts, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out. I was reading that. (laughs) The Pharisees went out and he immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him on how to destroy him, how to kill him. So this is an interesting account. You see all the way through, uh, Jesus is, obviously Mark is describing his quite dramatic uh, character, Jesus, and what he did. And the religious leaders are reacting against him. And actually you'll see it earlier on in chapter 2, they, they say, and there was a bit that Jim talked about, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And then he also has this reaction when he says, why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? So Jesus is just approach of being inclusive and loving everybody, just kind of grated with the Pharisees because they were very exclusive. They were very cold-hearted. And um, they were very critical. And so they're looking to find fault. And you'll see that, you know, they're looking at Jesus and, and his disciples and seeing if they can find fault with him. And that is really what legalism or, or pharisaical religion is like. It's looking to find fault. And this is interesting. So I've got three things I want to look at briefly this morning. Uh, and they're under these titles, Wrong Rules, Right Rest, and Radical Relationship. So wrong rules. What is going on in this story? So, uh, 
you could almost call it grace inhibitors. What's hindering the grace of God in the Pharisees' hearts? See, that Jesus isn't actually breaking, and his followers are not actually breaking the Sabbath laws. He's deliberately breaking the Pharisees' rules. So the Pharisees had created all these extra rules. They'd taken the, what God had said originally, and they created additional rules to try and be extra, extra holy. So they had 39 additional rules that you had to obey on the Sabbath. And we're going to go through each one this morning, <laughs> one by one. No, you're okay. And, uh, and one of those rules was not reaping. Okay, you weren't allowed to reap. And so the Pharisees are watching. So we go click on to the next slide. So the, the Pharisees, do you like the gif? Anybody know where that's from? Gladiator. Oh, Gladiator, very good. Okay, please don't think about Gladiator. But I just, it just when I was reading the story and trying to get my head into the story, I kept thinking about Gladiator and the, wandering through the fields. So, so uh, back to the point. The point is this. They're saying to him, what is he doing? Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Well, actually, you are allowed to go for a wander in the afternoon. In fact, I think it's a good thing to do, as as I try to encourage my family to do. (laughs) Nothing wrong with... And they're just wandering through the fields, just taking a few grains and eating them. And it wasn't their job. They weren't farmers, so they weren't doing their work on a Sabbath. They were just... Walking through, and how kind of weird and religious is it that the Pharisees are there watching, going, "Oh no, that's naughty," but you know that's what they're doing, and they had this rule about not reaping. But you know, the disciples, Jesus is just basically saying, "Look, you don't understand the Bible properly." That's what he says to them, and what he does is he gives them a story about David, and he says, "Look, do you remember David in the Old Testament?" You know, he, who David was, important guy in the Old Testament, he was to be king. And he was hungry, and his guys, they're actually running away from Saul. Saul was going a bit crazy, the king at the current time. And they go into the priest's place, and they ask the priest, have you got any bread? He goes, I've only got the consecrated loaves, the, the holy loaves, the loaves set aside for God. And so technically it wasn't allowed, but the priest allowed it. He said, David, here's the, here's the bread for your guys. And the Bible does not condemn them. Okay? It allows for an exception on that occasion. So Jesus says, well, do you know, have you not read that? In the Bible, it allows for an exception. Actually, the Pharisees themselves allowed for exceptions. They circumcised on the Sabbath day. They did other religious things on the Sabbath day. It's actually, but they got themselves all tied up in knots by trying to be extra, ultra religious. And Jesus says, look, you don't really understand the scriptures and this is this key phrase, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So actually it was originally intended for our good. Or the Sabbath rule was originally intended for their good. We'll get on to that later. Um, you know, it was, it was made for us for a day of rest. It was supposed to be helpful. It wasn't supposed to be a heavy thing. So you see in the original um, passage in Exodus, there it is, keep it up. For me, thanks. So, remember the Sabbath day. This is taken from the Ten Commandments. So it was, you know, it was a pretty big deal. So it's important that they were trying to understand what was true and what was right. So you remember, oh, you may not remember, but actually 
the Israelites have been slaves in Egypt. They've been forced to work all the time, seven days a week. But God said, no, let's, let's have something different from that. And so he gave them manna. When they were in the desert, he gave them manna six days a week. And on the sixth day, he gave them extra manna so they could have a day off on the, the Sabbath. So God had gone to a lot of effort to establish this rule. And it's one of the Ten Commandments, isn't there? Don't work. So let's read it together. So six days you shall labor, do all your work. On the seventh is a Sabbath, which means cease, desist. And it shall do no work, neither you, your son or daughter, nor your female servant, male servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigners in your towns. You won't oppress other people as well coming in. For six days of the Lord made the heavens and earth and the sea and all that's in it, and he rested on the seventh and blessed the day. Okay? So God had made a big deal about this. It's one of the ten commandments, okay? So they, you would think they're trying to do the right thing. They're trying to obey God. But actually, they've taken it too far. They were overly religious. One commentator puts it like this, and I found this helpful. He says, The drift of the argument is the fact that Scripture does not condemn David for his actions shows that the rigidity with which the Pharisees interpreted the ritual law was not in accordance with the Scripture and was not a proper understanding of the law itself. And it, this account also occurs in Matthew and Luke, And in Matthew, it says they're innocent. It says you would not be condemning the innocent. So Jesus is very clear. These guys are innocent. They're not breaking any laws other than your pharisaical additional rules. And there's a horrible story in Luke 13, which is just another example of this, where Jesus meets a woman who's been bound for 18 years. And she's doubled over. She's a... She's been bound like this. And the synagogue leader says, he gets angry that they heal on the Sabbath day and says this. This is in Luke 13. There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath. Just think how kind of confused is their religious thinking that they're saying, well, don't. So in the story that we had just now about the man with the withered hand, it says, Jesus challenges you, says, is it right to do good or harm on the Sabbath? And they can't even answer him because they're so tied up with their legalistic rule-keeping. It's horrible when rules go wrong. And so Jesus, there's all the way through the Gospels, Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees and uh, trying to you know, help them see that they're kind of twisted in their thinking. So there's a great bit. There's all these woes in Matthew 23. And one of them is, it says, Woe to you, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. <laughs> and it's Jesus. It's pretty funny, isn't he? It's good. I mean, it's memorable, isn't it? You, you strain out a little, you make a little bit of point on that tiny little thing, and yet you, you're missing the big thing. And then in Luke's account of the same thing, it says, you neglect, so you're doing tithing of various herbs and all sorts, but you neglect justice and the love of God. And this is the point. When you're, when you're happy for harm, you're missing the love of God. And actually, Jesus, was, they're always debating about what's the most important rules. What's the greatest commandment, Jesus asked on several occasions. Would you know how to answer that if you said, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
And he actually says, that almost fulfills the whole law. If you love, you're doing what God wants. But if you become religious and you're hating, you've missed the point. And in the story we had of the withered hand, they're criticizing Jesus for healing on the Sabbath, and yet they're plotting in their minds how they can kill him. See how twisted that is. They're prepared to break the other commandment about not killing because of Jesus breaking this, what in their minds is the Sabbath. So it's amazing uh, how Jesus just kind of challenges them. And there's a bit in, if we flick through, so that's the man with the withered hand getting healed. If we flick onto the next slide. I've done that one. Next slide. So in Mark 7, this is just another example. Jesus is talking about them washing their, washing their hands for the meal. And the, again, the disciples are getting criticized because they're not following the Pharisees washing of hands properly. And, oh, you're not washing your hands properly. Sounds like my mum. And uh, actually, it's probably good to wash your hands, just to say. It's good to wash your hands. Um, but the thing was, it's became, it became these extra rules. And uh, it says this, You have let go the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And it actually describes a situation where they, they, they find a loophole in the system. And you'll see this thing here. It says, the Bible says, Honor your mother and father, or... And anyone who curses their mother and father should be put to death. But you say, if anyone declares what might have been used to help their mother and father is Corbyn, and I'm not making a political point, <laughs> that is devoted to God, then you will no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God, your by tradition that you've handed down, and you do many things like that. They were doing lots of things religiously, and actually not doing what God really wanted. Now this thing, Corbyn, just to clarify, it was you say, I'm giving this to God. So it's holy to God. It's sacred to him. So it can't be used for any other purpose. So they're basically saying, sorry, mum and dad, that's God's. But really it was theirs. So they had this loophole system. So Jesus was like exposing their hearts that had no love in them, not even for their own parents. See what I mean? That was where religious had gone wrong. And... Uh, so you get this thing that the Pharisees are, are really hypocrites. They're external followers. They're not, something's wrong on the inside. And uh, I was just thinking about what, you know, so Jesus describes them, again in Matthew, about, says they're like whitewashed tombs, which is basically you look great on the outside, all white, but actually there's death on the inside. And you can get that. I was, we were watching a, a Jane Austen program the other day. Dear me. And, uh, and you're saying that Jane Austen, when she lived in Bath, she lived in the back, they had a, a house with a really nice front facade, and in the back she lived in kind of the, the horrible rooms at the back. And human beings are like that. We always like to present well on the front, but actually what's going on behind is the question. And Jesus is really saying that with disciples. And it's a bit like if you click onto the next slide. I don't know if you've seen this. This is, um, this is a road in London. You see up there. And it's, a, it's actually just a facade. There's nothing real behind it at all. So it's a tube. The tube goes underneath. So if you click on the next slide, that's what it looks at behind. 
I think it was used in the Sherlock Holmes episode, but that's, by the way, that's just on Google Maps. And uh, we can be like that. People can be like religious people like that. They can look, and you can sometimes you can't tell. People can just be all doing the right thing, but actually, what's going on inside? That's really the challenge. And Jesus said this. He said, "Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees." Don't know if you've ever that. That kind of resonated with me when I was younger. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. And what is it? It's being religious and justifying yourself through law and effort and ex- just focusing on externals. God is concerned about what happens in the heart. So that, all that teaching about what's the important thing, it's the love for others is what God's really wanting in our hearts. So I hope that is, helps you. That's the first thing then. And there's nothing that kind of kills the love of God like legalism. And actually, it's a real problem all the way through the New Testament. Jesus is, uh, and the, the New Testament is it's trying to stop this legalism. It's actually a bit like that woman who was bent out of shape. You know, the, the, the one I was saying about in Luke where she gets healed. It actually bends people over. They're not standing up free. They're kind of bowed down to legalism and rules. And there was all kinds of rules. So Galatians 5 I don't think I've got it in the passage, but it says this. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm them and do not yourselves be burdened to a yoke of slavery. Don't allow yourselves to try and be ritualistic and legalistic. Otherwise, Christ will be of no value to you. That's really interesting. Actually, there were ad- people were saying, well, you can follow Jesus, but you've got to do some other things. You've got to add on this or that, or circumcision was the big one or religious laws, or even keeping the Sabbath was things that people were adding on. And Jesus said, no, Christ is all you need. All you need is Jesus. You don't need anything else. So that is the first thing, and that we have, lib- we have to expose wrong rules. The second thing then is the right rest. And I kind of touched on this just now. See, the Bible doesn't actually, for the New Testament, for the New Covenant, doesn't actually teach, because a lot of Christians, in fact, a large part of the Western world, consider Sunday to be Sabbath. If I had a show of hands, I'd be interested to see how many people think like that. But actually, um, the New Testament doesn't teach that. But if you've grown up in the evangelical church like I did, you may remember things like not being allowed to watch TV on a Sunday or um, other, I mean, obviously TV is not the most important thing, but there's all sorts of things. I was talking to Nell's mother last week. She remembers not being allowed to play with certain toys. So you had Sunday toys and, you know, normal toys. I mean, it's kind of weird, isn't it? But that's what they used to do. And there's a picture, if you just skip on. This is going back even longer. There's a cartoon from uh, a newspaper... And it says this, Mama, you mustn't bowl your hoop in the front on Sunday. You must go into the back garden. And the boy says, isn't it Sunday in the back garden, Mama? You see the <laughs> religious people looking at their back. But that, actually, the New Testament does not teach that we have to treat Sunday like a Sabbath. And actually, for some of us, that's quite radical thinking. But if you click on to the next slide, we'll obviously go through this quickly. So this is Romans 14. It says this. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. 
Each one of you should be fully convinced in your own mind, and whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. So there's nothing wrong with keeping one day as special, but you don't have to make other people do that. So it's about a matter of conscience. In fact, you're free to do either. And the same thing in, next slide, in Colossians, it says this, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festival or new moon celebration or the Sabbath day. Now I've read loads of things where it says, yes, you know, we must keep, but actually we're going beyond the Bible when we do that. But it's quite strong in evangelical thinking and some people can even feel guilty if they go into a shop or that kind of thing. But I would say that you actually, your conscience should be free. So but my dad, for example, um, he won't, he's a farmer, I think I mentioned that earlier, he won't harvest, in fact, all the way through my life, he won't harvest on a Sunday. So every other farmer, a lot of them, just, they're always, and I think actually, in some ways, I admire that. I think he's trusting God by stopping and saying, I'm not going to trust God to provide the harvest. And just to prove it's real, I've got a couple of photos off Google Earth, this is slightly, slightly bizarre, but this is my dad. He, <laughs> This is a, you know when they do the street view and going along the road? So this is the farm where I grew up, and that, this is 2009, so they haven't changed it for quite a few years. And that's the, obviously, Land Rover, and that's my dad. And then if you click on the next side, this is, see how slowly he moves. <laughs> Amazing. But, uh, and that's a field, possibly of wheat. It could just be grass. But anyway, it's a lovely view, isn't it? I was very fortunate to have grown up. In such a lovely setting. But my point is this. that Actually, that's, it's fine for him to do that. But we're actually free to follow God. And what matters is not being right on one day. It's being right on every day. <laughs> it's no good being really good on one day of the week and being awful every other day of the week. That's hypocrisy. If it's not good on a Sunday, it's not good any day. And actually, God wants to get our hearts right. That's the whole point, is that we don't want to be religious externally. We want to be right in our hearts. So what is the right rest? Well, the right rest, I think, is a rest for our minds. I think it's a rest for our consciences. That is what Christianity, that's what grace brings. Grace brings freedom. See, a lot of Christians, and I've heard people say Oh, it's hard being a Christian, isn't it? It's hard. Have you ever talked like that? Well, I think we're wrong when we say that. You know, Jesus says this. If you click on to the next slide. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And this is actually the verses just before the chapter in Matthew which says about the Sabbath thing that we just read. So exactly the same thing as we read in Mark comes after this statement about his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Now if your experience is not that, I want to just challenge you. Are you more of a legalist? Because legalism is hard. In fact, legalism is impossible. It's miserable. If you've got a, a standard you've got to reach to, you'll never do it, and you'll forever be miserable. And actually, that's what some people say Romans 7 is all about. It's about the legalist going, 
oh, I just can't do this life. I cannot do it. Well, actually, the good news here, the news from Jesus is my yoke is easy and my burden is life. He wants to lift burdens. He wants to free consciences, cleanse our minds. That's what the Bible says, that we can come to him, we confess our sins, and he's faithful and just and will forgive us for all unrighteousness. So as a Christian, we are in Christ. What does that mean? It means I don't have to do anything else to make myself right with God. Let me explain it a bit bit like this. It's a bit like rowing. We were away with Nell's family last weekend, and we went in rowing, in rowing boats. Not, And uh, there were three boats, and I was in one of them with Matthew and Emily at one point, and I decided to rest. I thought, I'm getting, my back's aching a little bit, I'm just going to take a rest. So I, I lay back in the boat and just rested, and we just, we just went on. James was on his own, paddling like crazy, I rested. Now, of course, this is the point where Nell gets the camera out. It's not great, you know, showing, oh, look, Rob's lying down. I was only resting for oh, 10, 20 seconds. But I was just resting in the boat. Now, when we got married, uh, we went on honeymoon to Scotland, and we went to a place called Kidin, and there's a lock there called Loch Tay. And I decided, as a muscular, newly married man, uh, we would go rowing. So I rowed. Uh, we went to, to Lotte. Do you remember that? And I rowed for half an hour against the wind. <laughs> and I'm just, come on! Trying really, really hard. And I was against the wind. And it just, I didn't go anywhere. It was quite embarrassing. <laughs> it was quite embarrassing. I'm, I don't know why I'm bringing it up, in fact. But... I got nowhere. And sometimes our Christian lives can be like that. We're just trying to hit rules and that we impose on ourselves that aren't actually what God wants. We're accepted. We start from a position of acceptance. And so actually that's a joyful place to be. It's a happy place to be, to be accepted by God in Christ. So this is, uh, this is the real rest, the right rest that I want. Peace from our minds. As Ragan Bowman says, I'm only human. I make mistakes. I'm only human. That's all it takes to put the blame on me. Don't put the blame on me. There's something in our culture, just even people, you can rest, technically have a weekend, but your minds can be full of blame, guilt, depression. Actually, Jesus, liberating grace, lifts us from, lifts that off us. We should be free in Christ to be joyful peaceful, righteous. So this is the, 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 the effect of grace on our lives, liberating grace. And finally, and I realize time is not on my side, but radical relationship. So this is, so the first thing we looked at, the wrong rules, the right rest, and now radical relationship. Well, what is that? Well, how does grace change us? It changes us from the inside out. We don't have to worry about the externals. We have to worry about what's going on inside, in our hearts, before God. See, the, the religious leaders were, they had hard hearts. They had hard, bitter, nasty hearts. And Jesus was angry at them. He said, that's not what I wanted. I didn't create people to be full of hate and evil. I want love in the heart. Because love fulfills what God wants. That's ultimately what the Bible teaches. And so, actually, through the Old Testament, all the way through it, it's saying God's going to do something new. So this is not like Jesus says, well, just 
we'll just brush up a bit of legalism. No, something totally new starts with Jesus. Which is why on the, the, the early church met on the Lord's Day, because it was the day Jesus rose from the dead, but they didn't actually have a day off, because they were Romans, a lot of them. They worked, but they met early in the morning so they could be together. So they were together every, every Sunday, but they were working. Anyway, that's going back to the other point. The point, all the way through, God has said, I'm going to do something new, and he's going to do something in our hearts. So Ezekiel says, I'm going to take away a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And Jeremiah talks about, I'm going to write my laws on their hearts. So how do you live the Christian life? You don't now live it to law. You live it to Jesus. It's a relationship, a radical relationship with Jesus. So you say, I'm following you and pour your love into my heart. And as he does that, you do the right things. You live the right way. It's gratitude that motivates righteousness in the New Testament. It's not that you, the rules don't matter, but you don't focus on the rules. And interesting in Romans 13, it says, whatever rules there might be. It's almost like he's forgetting what the rules are. I don't fo- focus on the rules. I focus on Jesus. I'm following him, and he's changing me from the inside out. Does that make sense? So it's a radical change. So it actually motivates us to go beyond the rules. I don't know if you thought about that, but actually, it's not like we just, we're just hitting a target or a quota. Paul says, the grace of God, by the grace of God, I worked far harder than all of them. There was something in Paul. He, just, he was so motivated. He, he wanted to serve God in his generation. He wasn't trying to live any longer to a rule. He was living to God, and he was joyfully doing so. And it is exciting to be um, in a radical relationship with Jesus and stuff can happen. And actually, I was just thinking the other day how grateful I am to God for being in this church and just the cumulative effect of blessing that's happened Sunday by Sunday coming here over the years. Just the, how you just think about it. I think every week God speaks to me. Every week God encourages me. I've, I've been done good by this church. Over many years, and I'm grateful to God for it. And I was also thinking about God does stuff as well. And one of the things He does is healing. And it would be inappropriate on Pentecost Sunday, the day where the Spirit came, not to just talk about healing, because healing is all the way through this Mark's Gospel. Jesus does stuff. The withered man, his hand got straightened out. And I actually was here at the front uh, a few years ago now, where three of us were praying for a guy who'd been in a motorbike accident. And he had a mangled hand. It's quite a funny story. Because, uh, it, well, obviously it wasn't funny that he'd had a mangled hand. But anyway, he, he had a mangled hand. We prayed for him. And as we prayed for him, he started to get sensation back in his hand. Now, he wasn't a Christian. He'd just come in off the streets. So he's just there. We're at the front. I'm praying. And he's going, this is bleeping amazing. <laughs> so he swore. And he, I won't use the word he said. And I was like, is this right? What's going You can't say that. We're in church. Because <laughs> I'm still struggling with my old legalistic roots, I'm sure of it. But we were, where John was here, and he, literally he started getting movement back into his hands. And I was doing, wow, this is amazing. Now, he didn't, get full, he didn't get full recovery then and then, but he came back and thanked us. So he was really chuffed with what God did. And... You know, miracles have happened in this church over years and years and years. And it's good to pray for healing. And I think um, it'd be good to pray 
well, actually, was, the thing that went through my mind uh, is that I, there are people here who've got, who've been used in the gift of healing. So I was chatting to Rick on his membership thing a while ago. And uh, Rick, do you just want to come up? Is that right? That's, I'm sure you'll be able to cope with this. So Rick didn't become a Christian until he was quite, quite old. <laughs> and he can barely walk on the stage now. But um, I just wonder if you could tell us quickly about the two, two, two of the healings you saw not long after becoming a Christian. Um, in my last church, we had a, uh, the pastor's wife. She was a doctor. She'd had an MRI on one of her knees, and she's told that um, she wouldn't be able to use that knee. She'd be in a wheelchair. And um, I just had a word from God to pray on her knee. So next time I went to church and saw her, I said, look, I've got a prayer on your knee. I've got this message. Prayed on the knee, and now she's running. She plays tennis. She doesn't. She had a stick at the time, I think. She doesn't need a stick. So then someone how long, else... How long had you been a Christian at that point? A couple of months, I think. It wasn't yeah. Probably a couple of months to a year. It wasn't that long. Um, then I had a lady come to me, say... She had a problem with her elbow. And as I was talking to her, I put my hand on her shoulder. And I said, um, no, nah, it's your shoulder, it's not your elbow. And even then, she sort of argued with me and said, no, no, it's my elbow. And I said, no, I'm sorry, it's your shoulder. She said, oh, I'm going to the doctors, I'm not putting up with this. So she went along to the doctors, and uh, she pulled all the ligaments in her shoulder. So she came up to me the following week and said, you were right. So... That's how it was. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Right. And the reason I wanted Rich said, just a few months after he became a Christian, God was giving him the gift of healing. And so I just thought it'd be great, as we close, to have a song of worship. But also, I want to invite anybody, if you're a new member, okay, and you've seen God use you and get healing. So Rick is one of them. I want Rick to be involved. But anybody who's, who's actively seen God use them in healing, feel free to join the prayer team. And anybody who's ill, who would like to be prayed for or sick, I, I would love us to have a time of prayer and I will be involved as well. I'd just like to pray for the sick because God does stuff. He did stuff, you know. Rick's seen it. I've seen it. There's lots of people here who've seen it. So if, you've, if that stirs you and you want to pray for someone, please do that. But God bless you today. I trust that that has encouraged you and lifted your head today, that you are accepted in Christ, and it's grace that should motivate you to live for him. Okay? So God bless you. Okay.